hope we do it every time we gather together, but we've been exalting Jesus in a special way this month, building up to Christmas in a series that we've entitled Missing Christmas, where we've been taking a look at characters in the story, or stories, I should say, the different accounts of the birth of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the same story of Jesus. And Mark, with the exception of Mark, Mark must not believe in the birth of Jesus because he didn't even mention it. But the other, the other three have accountings of Jesus's uh, birth. And so we've been looking at some of the characters that they record there that missed it, that missed it. Instead, I've I've always been inclined towards the ones that received it, you know, and, and try to extract something we can learn from Mary and Joseph and all these people that received it and their journey towards Jesus. But we've been looking at those who've totally missed it, even though they were right there. Like the, the Emmanuel, the, the name we just sang, the, the, the Christmas name of Jesus, God with us. God could not have come closer to them, and yet they totally missed it. We spoke of King Herod and how he missed uh, what Jesus could have been to him. We then considered the innkeeper and how he missed Jesus, even though, at least in our traditional understanding, it was happening, that first Christmas story was happening right outside his door. And then last week, we looked at a group of characters, a group of people, and perhaps the last group of people that should have ever missed the coming of Jesus in his birth, and that is the religious people of the day. And so we found Herod and the religious leaders in the story of the book of Matthew. We looked in Luke to find mention or an allusion to the innkeeper, but this week's character I want us to reflect on is mentioned in the super spiritual accounting of the birth of Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John. And once again, it's not an individual character, but a group of people that I want us to consider this Christmas Eve. And it's the largest group of people I believe has ever been grouped into one lump group in all of scripture, and that is the characters identified as the world, the world. So we've already read this passage once this morning, but I want to read it again through another, um, through another uh, translation, and specifically with you having an eye for this, this people group, the world, and taking a look at why they missed Christmas, why they missed Jesus. And it begins like this, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. But I'm going to replace the word Word with the word Jesus for today, okay? So I've taught this to you in the past. If you're a member here, I hope you remember. Whenever we see the word Word in Scripture, what do we picture? We usually picture Scripture, right? That's what we, because word of God, we think it means scripture. But when scripture refers to scripture, you know what it says? Scripture. There's a Greek word for the word scripture, graphe. I remember it by graph paper, okay? So it's actual paper, you know, graphe. It says scripture. When you read the word word, most of the time, probably 95% of the time, it is the word logos. And the word logos is much broader, bigger, all-inclusive. It's essence, it's purpose, and you do better to picture not the Bible when you read the word word, but to picture Jesus, okay? The way, the truth, the life, the center, and in no place more than right here in the first part of John. So I'll read it just for today with the name of Jesus for clarity's sake for my message today. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life. That life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to every man was, here's the the Christmas story, was coming into the world. Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through him, here it is, the world did not recognize him. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So you'll recall, if you're a guest, you weren't here for this, but Herod missed Jesus, I proposed. We had to use some creative thinking, attribute some motives to Herod, but it's, it's an educated guess. We proposed that Herod missed Jesus because he didn't have any interest in anyone ruling his life other than him. He didn't want God as his king. He wanted to be king, so he missed it. When we looked at the innkeeper, we considered that he missed Jesus because he was just too busy. Something we can all relate to. It doesn't say that, but you can imagine it. And it's for sure true that we can find ourselves too busy to consider what's going on right outside our house. Maybe right inside our heart. And you remember the religious people, we presu- I presume, that they missed Jesus because they prioritized their own comfort with the status quo, with how things were. They were more comfortable with that. Thousands of years, a long time to get used to waiting for Jesus. The coming of Jesus would change everything. It would be disruptive. But the world, we don't have to be creative in why the world missed Jesus. According to John, the world missed Jesus simply because... The world did not recognize Jesus. And so the right question here is, what do you mean? Didn't recognize him as who? The world didn't recognize him as what? Because that's the right question for anyone reading this accounting. Because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss whatever Scripture is saying they missed. And they didn't recognize Jesus. The world didn't and doesn't. So what does John mean? Well, we read these lofty proclamations in what we just read and we see what they didn't recognize. Because he just, he just explained who he was. He is, they didn't recognize Jesus as the one who has always been with God from the beginning. That he's always been from the beginning. When a baby is born, we don't think in terms of that baby always having been. It's been created. But Jesus was different, but the world didn't recognize that. Jesus wasn't recognized by the world as one who was with God. He literally came from, when he was born, from God. The world doesn't recognize that. This is the one, Jesus is the one, according to John, through whom everything was made. Okay? Including them. The world does not recognize that Jesus, and this is understandable, isn't it? I mean, that's a lofty, lofty claim. And so they missed Jesus because they didn't recognize him as the one through whom everything, including them, was made. They didn't recognize Jesus as the very container of the thing that every human being longs for, protects, fights for. Life. 
Everything we do is explained by our clamoring for and longing for life. More of it, for it to be better. Everything is explained by that. Even our sin is us, in a false way, looking for more life. The promise of sin is your life will be better. Everything is explained by it. They didn't recognize Jesus as the container of that very thing that they want. They didn't read, the world didn't recognize Jesus as the light, that that life was the light that would illuminate their lostness in a dark world and everything that they've experienced. No one gets through this life without experiencing darkness. And, and that just makes us need light, right? To be relieved of that darkness. But they didn't recognize Jesus that. And I skipped one. Of all the phrases that John uses here to describe Jesus. None could be higher. None could be more significant, more important, more heretical, in fact, unless it's true. They did not recognize Jesus as God. Of all of the phrases used here, this is the one that is central. According to your Bible, you totally miss Jesus. If you fail to recognize Jesus, fail to recognize him as God. That's the declaration of verse 10. The world did not recognize him. And when verse 10 happens, verse 11 happens. It naturally leads to it. To something that our faith as Christians, our faith declares, is the saddest, most tragic, worst thing that can happen to a human being. Or not happen, as the case may be. His own did not receive him. It makes perfect sense that if you don't recognize him, that you will end up not receiving him. I found a, but that's a big deal. Found a story that happened in the early 1900s, somewhere in those first three decades. It's a small township on the East Coast. I think it was a resort town, but it was a small population there, and it was in trouble. It was struggling financially. Tight-knit town, and they had called an open meeting of everyone in town. They had several dozen people there in this meeting, and they were talking about what they're going to do. They are going to need some serious creativity, but really, they're going to need money. They are going to need money in order to survive. So there was a stranger in attendance at this meeting. And he just listened quietly for a long time. Friendly enough guy, it seemed. And uh, he he decided to speak up. And he started to contribute. But pretty quickly, everybody, since they didn't know him, you know how we do this, just kind of shut him down, interrupted him, politely dismissed him, and, you know, went on with their meeting because they didn't kind of know who that was. So he sat there quietly for the rest of the meeting until he, he left early. He got up and left. And when he left, shortly, just a few couple seconds later, a lady who was late to the meeting comes in and said, what was he doing here? Is he going to help us? And they were like, who? Who was that? You don't know who that was? That was John D. Rockefeller. So for those of you who don't know, John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest men alive at that time. And he was famous for his philanthropic efforts that's just do-gooder stuff he he looked for good causes to make a difference in with his money and he had found them he had taken an interest in their problem he had solutions to their problem in his pocket but they missed it why because they didn't recognize him they didn't recognize him that's how important recognition is now they missed out on their town 
being revitalized. But this text goes on to tell us in powerful terms of something far greater that you miss out on if you do not recognize. And then, that's verse 10, and then receive, verse 11, Jesus Christ. It's in verse 12. Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, that's what it means to receive Jesus, by the way. It's a good question. What does it mean to receive him? It means to believe in him. Belief is the thing. Something triggers, something happens when you believe in Jesus that triggers all of the kingdom and your experience of the kingdom in this life and our faith says in the next. But this is how he says it. Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will. That's how all children are born, right? This is a different birth. This is born of God. So this text tells us something happens to those in the world, the largest people group that could ever be named, to those in the world that recognize Jesus and then believe in him, receive him, something happens. They get issued forth a right. A right to be called a child of God. Now, it's still true today, but even more so back when this was written, okay? To be someone's child was no small thing. It meant something. More than today. It's still true today. You'll, you'll resonate with this. But even more, to multiply that by a thousand in the first century. It gave you some important central things. It gave you an identity. It gave you a family. And it gave you an inheritance. Okay? So the identity secures us as someone. We all want this. We all long for this. We want to know we are someone. An identity is what secures you as someone. Someone with value. Someone with a place. Someone with purpose. Someone with potential usefulness. Your identity gives you an anchor and a lever to pull in this world. Just makes you know I, I, I have a role. It gives you context for your life. Identity is important. It also gives you family. To be someone's child gives you family, and family secures us in community. We're all built for community. Way back at the beginning of our story, I mentioned it often. It says it is not good for man to be alone. We believe that's true in every way you can imagine. It's not good. Most of us have experienced aloneness just enough to agree. It's not good. Being someone's child secures you in intimate community. An inheritance, if, if identity secures us as someone and family secures us as community, identity secures our future. I mean inheritance, sorry. Inheritance secures our future. And let me just tell you, when, when your future is secure, it changes everything today. It changes how you react and how you respond to everything. Even the worst things, when your future is secure, it transforms everything, no matter what happens today. So that's, that's my outline. That's my head explanation of what happens when you are considered someone's child. When we're talking about adoption here, like being adopted by God. It's not by natural birth. But if you got adopted, but I tried to go, how do I get this at a heart level? And I was thinking about this all week. And this commercial, some of y'all say, I don't know if it's a PSA or a commercial. Because honestly, I don't remember what it's about. All I remember is this little three-second part of it. That literally, when I first saw it, I paused, I rewound, and I watched it several times, and I cried. 
It was just, it captures the heart of what I just explained to your head. Okay, and it's this picture, three seconds. It is a, it's a man and a woman sitting on either side of a little girl that's clearly not their child by a husband's will or because she's a different race. And so she's sitting there with an open box on the table that, that, that three seconds, I'm, t- I'm taking all this time to explain it. Just, this is three seconds and it all comes through, the whole heart of this. And she's sitting there with a note that she clearly got from the box. And she says, Goodness, getting more tender in my old age. Goodness, pull it together. She says, she says, I'm going to be adopted. And as she said the last word adopted, you could hear the tears in the word adopted. Like you heard her, her she, couldn't finish, she couldn't finish the sentence before she believed what she was reading. And it meant so much. It, you've heard it in the word adopted. Have any of y'all seen this? No? Okay. I don't know if it's a PSA or what, but... And, and, and a tear is in her eye. The, the, now we know these are parents giving this gift and they're standing up as it cuts out. You know exact three seconds and you know exactly at a heart level what's happening. She knows, her heart knows. She's nine years old. She maybe couldn't articulate it like I just did, but her heart knows what she's being offered. So in broken humanity, of course. There are positives and negatives associated with the human family because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a ladder of prestige and goodness and wealth and, and standing and other things that we might go, yeah, not every family would be great to be. I know that. Let's, but let's honor that, that there's maybe a totem pole or a ladder of what we would say, like in the first century, if you were going to be adopted by a little carpenter's family versus you're going to be adopted by Caesar, right? One would be way more impressive because of the gap between those two stations in life. So if you can understand all of that, you can now go back to this text and understand this incredible phrase at a heart level, a head level, at a, at a, at a ladder level Jesus gives us the right to become children of Caesar. No. God. Whatever the gap between Caesar and a carpenter's family, you can't even see the difference when you hear the report that those who recognize and receive Jesus get the right to be a child of God. The identity secured for us as God's children cannot be higher. The family secured for us in God's community cannot be more vast. And the inheritance, the inheritance that we get secures our future. The one that secures our future, it is unmatched because it is not confined to this world. In our faith, it goes It's here, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond the grave because it lasts forever. And that's where I want to kind of end this little Christmas reflection today on the inheritance. After explaining, after the Bible explains to us that we were never meant for death. You know, did you know that? Any kind of death. We're not meant for any kind of death. Proof positive of that for me is when someone dies that we love, our love remains. 
It doesn't die with them. Our hearts know. Scripture says eternity has been placed in the hearts of men. That's, that's a reflection of that. Our hearts know. We still have an echo of how we were created for life, for abundant life, for ever-increasing life. Our heart knows. And so after explaining that, it explains that sin messed that up. See, connection to God is what maintains our connection to life. It's what keeps us alive, and it's what keeps it abundant and growing forever. But sin interrupts that. And so after the Bible explains that, it it tells us in the whole Old Testament, or Old Covenant, that old promise of the Old Testament, it exposed this real clearly by revealing the law. Get these laws right, and you are sinless, and your connection is unhindered. Nobody's done that. And it's not a real high bar, by the way. Like, don't kill. Don't steal. All right? I mean, it's, it's not a real high bar, and we can't even meet that. Okay? And so, because of that, this is exposed to us that our sins are a problem, that it has disrupted that. So that's the bad news, but it also reveals to us that if we're going to have what our heart knows we're supposed to have, that it, we're going to need some outside intervention. We're going to need saving from our condition, from our sin. We're going to need a Savior to come in and take care of those sins and restore this connection for us. So after all that, the Bible explains it in Hebrews 9 this way. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died, not you, he has. One who's never known death, it's not even capable of death, somehow takes on our sins and dies. And he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Church, there's lots of perks of being God's child in this life, to be sure. There are. And we even pray for that. We pray, Lord, let it be here on earth as it is in heaven. And we work towards that. That's part of our calling. It's a beautiful work and prayer and calling. But from whence do we get this idea? From there. From heaven. That's first. It's the source. That inheritance, our future secured. It's what makes this life bearable, even possible, even worthwhile to stay in and contribute to the larger-than-life story that in our hearts we know we're meant for hinges on that eternal, that inheritance part. Yes, identity. Yes, yes, community. But that inheritance, our future being secured. Let me read. It's about a little bit long. Five verses that Peter explains this. From that context, listen and celebrate this as we finish up. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Everything here will perish, spoil, or fade. Even the good things, right? The eternal part of that good will last kept in heaven for you. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, here's the understatement of the century, 
for now, for a little while, or you may have suffered, have to, had to suffer grief in all sorts of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here's a description of so many of you that just, mm, when my faith is weak, encourages me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And here's the proof. Here's the proof in our heart for the validity of this whole message. It's right here. When we love him, even though we don't see him, when we care for him, believe in him, even when we don't see him physically, we we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It works somehow, somehow mysteriously when we align ourselves with this message. There's plenty of proofs of the validity of this message that we love to anchor into in a reasonable sort of way, but at the end of the day, it is my heart that testifies to me. I've tried lots of things, lots of beliefs. This is the one that seems to work, that fills me with an inexpressible and glorious joy as if my heart was made for it. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Ah, there's so much more to say about this. But for today, I just want to send you into your Christmas Eve happenings today and Christmas tomorrow with this question. Are you missing Jesus? Because I can't think of anything that would be more tragic for you to be born and then to die having never recognized the offer that's being made to you from heaven in this man. Let me ask our elders and our praise team to come up and our elders and their spouses and ministers to move around the room in case you need to respond. There's one more verse in this passage that I'll end with. It describes Jesus with two words. It says the word, I'll use the word word here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of, here they are, grace and truth. If I were to pick the two words to describe the two things that I want In my life, 55 years, that I've learned to want more than anything else. And I've wanted a lot of stuff, still do, but at the top of the list, it's these two things. I I want truth. If I've got it wrong, I want to know. I am after the truth. And I've learned enough truth to know I want grace. I want and need grace. I want both of these. And look at this. These are the two words that... Any objective measure in my life, I would want more than anything. That is the description of Jesus. Jesus is grace and truth. And they can't truly exist as blessings without each other, church. Truth without grace is hard. It's stiff. It's unrelenting. It's a brick wall. It's necessarily condemning with no way out. It's true. It's truth. There is not truth that is fully good news without grace. And grace without truth, that's shapeless. It's like this shapeless, meaningless, without stability or context, fluffy ball of superficial pretending. 
That's what grace is without truth. There is no grace extended to sin unless there's a truth that is some sort of measurement of sin. So grace isn't grace without truth and truth isn't truth without grace. I've not been a human being that doesn't need both these. Not one. But I've also not met a human being, including me, and it's been different at different seasons of my life that has not needed one a little bit more than the other because of where they're at, because of their journey. So if your life is flighty, unstable, if you're too busy, too committed to living your own way, if you're prioritizing your own comfort comfort over what's important or what's loving or what's good or holy, then you're in a season where you need some truth. If you're burdened and heavy laden with guilt or shame or a sense of unworthiness, or if you need help to believe that there's hope, that this offer is for you too, not just everyone else, because your sins are too bad, then you're in a season where you need grace. Good news, wherever you are, the medicine you need is found in the same place. It's in Jesus full of grace and truth. Let's stand and let's turn our eyes to Jesus.